You are listening to the Senior Pastor Podcast, where four giants of the Restoration Movement walk us through the issues facing the church today. Your four hosts are Bob Russell, Don Wilson, Ken Eidelman, and Scott Rawlings. Before we begin, a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Brooke Brodsman, CEO and founder of Go Ministries. Go Ministries empowers local leaders to make disciples. After 30 years of leading this ministry, the next generation is taking it to a whole nother level. And I have had the privilege of starting a new area called Go Legacy, where we focus on pastoral care, resourcing new initiatives, and teaching and modeling kingdom generosity. If you'd like to learn more, please go to gomen.org. We all leave a legacy. What will your legacy look like? In this episode of the Senior Pastor Podcast, the boys are continuing the conversation from episode one. If you have not listened to the first episode yet, please go and listen to that now. On with the show. I think I think a big thing that's changed in probably the last 10 or 15 years in our Christian colleges, uh, when I went to Christian college, I had a chance to play college sports. Mm-hmm. I played basketball, but everybody that was there to play basketball, we weren't there to play basketball. We were there to prepare for ministry. Mm-hmm. So consequently, I would say almost all of the people uh, when I went to school, they were there to prepare for a church-related ministry. Right. What's happened now, many of our colleges, in order to get better enrollment, have started sports programs, and you're reaching a group of young people that come to a Christian college not because they want to go into ministry. They can't play big-time sports, so they're going to a smaller Christian college Mm -hmm. so they can play sports. And as I visited some of those campuses, you have two student bodies. You no longer have a student body united in how are we going to change the world. You have a smaller group that's preparing for ministry, but the majority are more in the athletic programs, and they're there not to prepare for ministry. They're there to play. Mm -hmm. And if they can't make the team, they transfer out a semester. And so it almost discourages the kids even there that are preparing for ministry because they see themselves as second-rate of what's going on. And, and I see that in many of our Christian colleges in the last 10 years that I think ultimately they're not having the same retention. The kids aren't staying there for four years because they get discouraged because the Christian college atmosphere, campus life is not even uh, raising up strong Christian warriors. And mm-hmm. I, I think uh, so a byproduct of less and less people coming into ministry is I think what's happening with the enrollment and the athletic programs at our Christian colleges. Because yeah, they're not showing up in, in large, large numbers. And, and, and so I, 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 and I've seen that. And I don't want to pick on, on the Christian colleges. I think, Bob, I heard you say uh, this once, and, and Ken, I think, can attest to this, that, you know, we, we don't have a training program for leaders at Christian universities. You know, they're just kind of, you're just kind of thrown into the, the deep end and hopefully learn to learn to swim. Am I right, Ken? Is that was that about your experience at 29 when you became the president? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it's tough. So I don't want to pick on him, but I do see that, Don. What I also see is what you brought up earlier, Ken, which is this what one of my professors called Harvard envy. It's we want to be so academically respected that we go out and we recruit professors 
with prestigious PhDs who aren't even necessarily, uh, to use your word, a churchman. It's, but we have this guy with a PhD from Yale or, you know, wherever. Well, has he worked at a church? No. You know, is he preaching regularly? No. Now, I knew of one professor at a college that will, you know, remain anonymous to protect the guilty. One of their professors of ministry actively brags how many times he's been fired from churches for holding unorthodox views. And they're paying this guy sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 a year to shape young pastors and it. To me, that's just bonkers. Well, again, it doesn't uh, it doesn't have to be from Princeton or Yale. Yeah. Uh, when I went there, what determines what determines academics is accreditation. Mm-hmm. If you if you weren't accredited, you could go out and get a pastor that was effective and then have to have a master's degree. <clears throat> but once you start accreditation, says in order to teach, you have to have a degree above who you're teaching. Well, what happens is we got people that were great students in the four-year curriculum. Mm-hmm. They were straight-A students. I had a 2.2, so I'm, I'm not a straight-A student, okay? But uh, so they get the scholarship to the college, to the seminary. They get a 4.0 in the seminary. Well, then who hires them? The Christian college. So they've never been out in the local church right. doing ministry. So I think, again, many of our young people know the Bible, but they don't they're not getting illustration from their professors on actual pastoral life and leadership. Yeah, and it, it reflects, I can see it in the curriculum. Um, we have two young men that we've actively identified uh, at Christ Community Church that we just kind of put into a training program. They may go off. One does have a degree in Bible. The other's got a degree in engineering. But I've been meeting with them weekly and and kind of pouring into them and see where they go. But I was telling them, I said, here's what I just don't understand about Christian education. Again, not to pick on it, but it's just, I went through seminary. And so I go through 90 hours of seminary at Abilene Christian. And I probably write 50 papers. And, you know, I spend all this time in the library by myself reading and studying, and all that may be important, but I'm training for a job where you spend 90% of your time talking to people, and I'm spending 95% of my time being alone and quiet and writing papers. And how often do you all write papers for your, you know, 20-page papers for, you know, your job as a minister? And I look back and I said, never once did anybody even ask, you know, do you know how to do a wedding? Do you know how to do a funeral? Do you know how to baptize someone? Do you know none of this ever came up? It was purely academic, and at least with what I've experienced, and I don't understand that. I mean, can I know? But maybe that may piggyback on exactly what Don you're saying because so many of our institutions are obsessed with getting the highest and best level of accreditation and all the stuff that comes with it. Yeah, you know, uh, Southeast Christian Church. Bob Russell, bachelor's degree. Dave Stone, bachelor's degree. Kyle Eidelman, bachelor's degree. And they're leading a church loaded with PhDs, doctors. What's, what's the difference? It's, it's that heart for ministry. It's that sense of calling. It's that, and it's that Bible orientation, education, proclamation. Mm-hmm. Consistently through, what, 60 years? Has there been how 70? 60 or 70 years, and, and his church has thrived, 
and it it has not emphasized uh, uh, graduate degrees. Wisdom is different than book learning. Yeah. One of the things we're doing in northern Kentucky, uh, Central Christian College of the Bible took over the preaching department of Cincinnati Christian University. Mm. And uh, they're trying to form really two avenues, two tracks into ministry. One is the traditional Bible college training where you can both online and in person get an accredited degree. But we're working on developing a practical track where we can take people who have already gone through uh, college education. Mm -hmm. They don't need to go back and reinvent all the basics, review all the basics. So we are trying to work in a track where they can receive practical training from local preachers or preachers who are willing to come in who will talk about some of the basics. Also, they will will include an internship at a church in the area Mm. where they will have some hands-on training and some basic instruction. And we're hoping to form maybe a two-year certificate degree where guys who feel called into ministry after receiving a degree from the University of Kentucky, University of Cincinnati, can go into ministry with a completely uh, different but more practical experience. Yeah. I, I, I've i bought into that, and I really think that may be the future, especially given now the expense of higher education um, compared to what it was when you gentlemen went and did your bachelor's degrees. I mean, the, you know, the cost is just skyrocketed. Tuition is just so high. Do, do you guys think that the local church would receive a preacher with a certificate from an institution like that, but who has not had an official seminary degree or training? Yes, I think I think the vast majority of churches would accept that. Um, and to hitchhike on what you said, Bob, E2 Elders is, has just produced a resource called The Preaching Elder. And uh, there are uh, a handful of us that work with that, and we're putting a tool in the hands of elders who have degrees from maybe a university or a college, but who have a sense of calling to preach the word. And I haven't said anything about that, but having a sense of calling, I had that as a 15-year-old. I'm 75 years old. It's been 60 years. I still go back to that time as a 15-year-old. I know God called me to do what I've done for 60 years. And it, the romance is still there for me. I'm, a, I'm as excited about it. I've got more sand in the bottom of the hourglass now than I do in the top. I understand that. My days, you know, are, are probably numbered. But uh, just having that sense of calling, well, there's some elders who, who are really committed and could preach if we would equip them. And we're, we got a book. We're going to have some seminars around the country to, specifically for elders to help them fill some of these uh, churches in maybe some smaller communities mm-hmm. um, where people would accept a, pre- a person who's called and who's equipped adequately to preach. Do you guys think there'll be a multiplication of uh, ministers, the outreach of ministers from uh, larger churches? that instead of uh, 
smaller rural church calling a preacher that they will use media to pipe in a sermon from another place and that they will have their own music. But You know, we've seen the popularization of satellite churches, campus ministries. I'm wondering if there's going to be a, such a shortage of ministers down the road that we'll have to utilize media uh, to, to bring the Word of God to some of these places, and if it will be adequate to do that. We'll have to train somebody to be the shepherd of the local flock like yeah. they have campus ministers. But maybe we'll be able to, to fill the void of ministers by the use of uh, uh, multimedia. I was in LaGrange, Kentucky Sunday morning, this past Sunday morning, and uh, during the final prayer after the, the worship time, a scrim dropped down, and uh, and they had uh, uh, Dave Stone stepped up, and you know you're looking at is he there or is he not there? It was so you know the technology was so so good and on the on the screens. And I think more and more churches are accepting that, and I do think that that's that's going to answer the need for for teaching. I, I think um, if I can go back to the mega churches, mm-hmm. I think I'll, I'll throw out two things. Number one, I think if the mega church youth groups would even have a commitment to send, I'll even say 5% of their kids into full-time ministry, mm-hmm. our Bible colleges would have record enrollment. Just if they just had uh, five, if they just said, we go back and say, would all of you have a goal to have 5% of your kids that end up in ministry had a record enrollment? The flip side is most mega churches today are not hiring uh, graduates from our Bible college. They're right. hiring from within. So we're raising up a whole generation on our on our mega churches that have leadership but really don't have a theological background. And what we found on in our church is many of them say they're called to ministry, but they're not called to ministry. They're called to that church's ministry. Mm. Because if, if they leave the secular world and come and work on the local church, if it doesn't work out, they don't go to another church. They go back into the secular world. But on the other hand, that's a role that the Christian college could step up if they're flexible and figure out how do we help train biblically a lot of these people from the, the corporate world that are now on megachurch staffs. How, how could we help them? That's a whole new source uh, for them to train yeah. if they would think about that. And now, a word from our sponsor. Hi, I'm Brooke Brutzman, CEO and founder of Go Ministries. Go Ministries empowers local leaders to make disciples. After 30 years of leading this ministry, I have turned it over to the next generation and couldn't be more pleased with how they're leading and all they're doing. That allows me to focus on a new area called Go Legacy, where we focus on pastoral care, resourcing new initiatives, and kingdom generosity. Folks, let's face it, if you're connected at all with the church, whether a regular attender, an elder, and certainly if you're on staff, you see the pressures that our leaders are under. It is an incredible burden that they bear and often bear alone. Go Ministries has been privileged to walk alongside hundreds of local leaders right here serving in our own churches. And we want to do more through counseling, encouragement, and equipping those pastors. But that doesn't happen without new initiatives and new resources. And that brings us to kingdom generosity. Folks, God owns it all. And we need to live into that each and every day. Please go to gomen.org and ask yourself, what will your legacy look like? Because I want to have, you know, I always want to have within our movement 
um, well-trained scholars who are there to assist the pastors and, and, and paid for what they're doing. I just think that the training system that we have is, I think you're right. The Bible college is going to have to partner with the, with the churches and the Bible college provide, you know, the theological background, but, but it's going to have to be the churches that practically, I think, train people to be, to be leaders. And because they don't even do another thing that like, for example, that I see minister after minister after minister get in trouble for that nobody ever spoke about when I was in seminary were, was finances, your own personal finances. Okay, you're, you're going to rack up $80,000, $90,000 in student loans to go out and find a job for $45,000 and you got a wife at home. How are you going to pay your bills? How are you going to budget? So I had a credit card debt. That's one of the things uh, Dad is doing with our two men that we've kind of handpicked for ministries. He's sitting down with the old Crown Financial budgets. I guess his you know, how you avoid these things and how do you, and of course there's got to be talks about how you set up boundaries to prevent moral failure, all these things, but they're never discussed. Somebody's got to do it. Don't you think? Well, I, we found out with our residency uh, program that we started after they graduate from college, we brought them out for a year and had a practical residency to work mm. on a master's. All of a sudden these kids still had all kinds of problems and when I got the academic deans together, I said, what's going on? They said, what's different with the young people we have now coming to the Christian college from the churches? Mm -hmm. Many of them are from broken homes. Many of them have mm -hmm. addictive behavior, and they are not as strong emotionally or spiritually as when you guys started 30 years ago. And they said, oftentimes it's taken us two years to get them healthy before we prepare them for ministry. Well, my response is, then how, how come you haven't changed the curriculum? Right. Uh, my grandson going through Bible college took 90% of the same courses that I took. I didn't have to deal with same-sex marriage, LBGTQ, mm -hmm. all of these issues that today's younger generation are having to deal with. Right. And so I think the college does almost have to step back and say, what can we do effectively? What, what do we need help to train differently? You know, we see a few Bible colleges bringing uh, residencies to the local church. I think there needs to be a whole lot more than that. And the, when the Bible college and the, especially the mega churches need to cooperate in bringing three or four professors, having them be on staff of the church. Mm -hmm. you got this massive church building not used during the week. There are all kinds of resources available. Maybe bring... The, the college to the church rather than asking the kids to go off to, to college, mm -hmm. we, we might be able to recruit and uh, train a lot more kids locally if, if we would change the paradigm a little bit. Well, it's changing anyway because you see how many people now are going to college mm -hmm. online and staying at home with their parents to just keep the <clears throat> amount yeah, of loans big, down. I'm not a big fan of online training yep. yeah, to some degree, but they still need that relationship. They need I that agree. exposure to I people. Agree. Can, Can and the, the program uh, that you, you're talking about, Don, at CCV, uh, here at Southeast, three weeks ago, I was in the chapel here. Fifteen people were ordained. Six, eight months before that, 28 people were ordained to full-time full ministry. And uh, so I, I do think the megachurch is uniquely positioned to be able to recruit and and they were different different ages and different ethnicities up there on the platform it was really exciting in fact i took a picture of it 
And uh, I sent it out to a few people. I said, I'm encouraged that, that the pipeline for leadership is uh, is being un- unclogged in some mm-hmm. unique places. And I think I think the megachurches are are really, uh, that's a hopeful option. Yeah, and, and I hope that, like, but, you know, as Don was saying, I hope that we also have in the megachurches that there is a uh, focus on, you know, training ministers, not just for this ministry. You know, we're not training people just for in-house, just to be a minister at this yeah. place, but to also go out and help other right. churches. I think that it has to happen, or you're going to see small churches in small towns like some of the ones that you grow up in disappear. You know, Matt, there's there's interesting things going on right now in the denominational world that if, if, if the restoration movement were had it in road gear instead of slow motion, that there's a whole world out here. The Methodist Church right now has to, by January the 1st, made up their mind whether they're going to stay in the Methodist Church who have already said, we will ordain homosexuals, Mm -hmm. or whether they can withdraw. And there's a system that they have in... And one of the churches there in Sauda County has already told me they're going to withdraw. They're go- they're going to be in a pickle finding preachers, and and there's and there's a lot of these smaller rural Methodist churches where the people really love the Lord and and believe the word. Mm-hmm. My mother used to say this has been 900 years ago. She said that the, the local Methodist church there in Bracken County, Kentucky, they were she called them shouting Methodists. She said. They're the most godly people she ever saw, and 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 there are lots of godly people in those churches who are looking for people who will preach the Bible, keep it clear, make it simple, who will obey the Lord, and they're looking for help, and we have the answer. We'll just get all if we can just get it in road gear. I think one thing that's changed, uh, and. Uh, uh, and I'm like Bob. I I want the Christian colleges to succeed, mm-hmm. but but I think this is correct. Twenty years ago, I would say seventy-five to eighty percent of their budget money came from the local church, and probably twenty percent from individuals. I think now that's flipped. Like eighty percent is from individuals, twenty percent is from churches. Well, when you start getting eighty percent from individuals, you might say we exist for the local church, but in reality you know you can't right. exist with just the money from the local church. And I think by that attitude shifting in the last 10 or 15 years, what they're finally realizing is because they've said we no longer need the local church, mm-hmm. that's why they're not getting the recruits coming. Because if the church is not bought in financially and a part of what you're doing, it's only a matter of time till the sh- students aren't going to show up either. So there's got to be a way for us to work together for the college to say, how can we come, like Bob said, and work with you and your churches and develop a partnership so these kids grow up saying, there's a model that I can go. I can go to that school. I want to be a part of that school. Because many kids in our youth groups today, Phoenix is a classic example. The number one thing they hear about Christian colleges in Phoenix, what do you think it is? Grand Canyon University. Mm-hmm. You know, I know Christian church pastors from all over America that send their kids to Grand Canyon University, and I've had a grandson go there. It's not a Christian university. It was started by a pastor and two Mormons. Mm -hmm. People don't know that. 
You know what yeah. I mean? So you go there and you might get one Bible class, but they're not really turning people out for ministry. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, Don, I think that's one of the reasons why the, we need not be spending most of our energy trying to encourage our Bible colleges to do this or to do that, because our Bible colleges are struggling. Many of them are closing, and uh, some of them becoming more and more liberal. I think our emphasis in the future ought to be to large churches, and I'm talking about churches of a thousand or more, not super large churches, that we need to, to, to make to take the initiative and to start training programs, recruiting programs within the local church, and maybe then tap into the resource of the Bible college. But let's quit trying to give instruction to what the Bible college ought to do, take the initiative ourselves, and re- recruit mm. some, some young people locally and begin to train them so that, these, as, as, as uh, Scott was mentioning, these local churches that can't find a preacher anymore, we've got guys that are on the job, but they can go out on the weekends and preach to these places. Mm-hmm. But I think the initiative ought to come from the larger churches rather than saying, let's have the Bible college do it. And churches need to, to support the colleges that, that are accountable and are accomplishing their stated mission. Absolutely. I'm yeah. on the Bible college support team here at Southeast. And we've determined we're not going to support colleges that, that have less than a 30-hour Bible major. We're not going to support colleges that aren't accomplishing what they say they, they're, accomplish, they're accomplishing. The, the, the church here sends hundreds and thousands of dollars to, uh, to, to Bible colleges, but we're putting a fine point on, on the schools that we're going to support. Well, it's, it's, you know, it's more like four or five now, and um, and and that's and, and they've increased scholarships from a hundred thousand dollars in the budget to two hundred thousand dollars in the budget if the students are going to go into full time ministry. But we don't support students that are going to colleges that that we don't think are going to produce Christian leaders. You've just got a limited amount of resources. It's the church's responsibility in every generation to raise up her own leadership. IBM, Toyota, you know, we don't need to be raising up leaders. That's not our responsibility as a church, is to raise up the, the vocational leaders and the missionary uh, leaders, of the global evangelists that the church needs. And that's where we need to put the accent. What, what I'd like to see, I mean, if we could encourage, you know, people maybe that are listening, mm-hmm. I'd like to see at least, let's say the church is over 1,000, pick a number, and if there's a hundred of those of our brotherhood, I would love to see the pastors get together with several Bible college presidents and sit down and say, how can we help each other? You know, it's obvious there's the need. What can we do to work together? Yeah. I would like to see something like that would happen because truth is, Bob is saying, we need each other. I mean, the local church yes. needs them and they need us, mm-hmm. but we've kind of got an attitude. I'm going to do my thing and you do your thing mm-hmm. and nobody's going to win. I think with that, I'd love to see them get together and do something and have a sit down and say, how can we work together to make this happen? I agree. And I hope that does happen. And I hope that uh, some men in here and some other leaders who may be listening can make that happen because I do think that it's, it's, it's necessary. I don't want to completely abandon the Bible colleges. I think you're right, Don. I think we, you got to have a theological basis. They've got to know how to exegete and preach scripture. They've got to know, you know, they need a little church history. They need, you know, they need this. But at the same time, they need some practical training, and so something's going to have to change. But it sounds like 
if I can start to wrap this all up, listening to all four of you, it sounds like one, once upon a time, when it, we weren't having a problem getting ministers, there was a lot of effort and prayer put into that. There were a lot of older, godly men who were encouraging and, you know, not just to go into Bible college, but encouraging them when they got out of Bible college. And it sounds like that we've got to make that at least happen again. Everybody say amen to that or anything else? You know, Matt, I think it's even better than that. I think when you look at what Al Moeller has done here yeah. in, um, in, in Louisville uh, with the college that they brought and, and what he's done there at the seminary, uh, is is can be a model that we can look at because it is smashingly successful. What did he do? I don't know. I'm from Phoenix. Back in the early, well, and he will he will tell you that Al Al told this to to Dad. Doctor Moeller said this to Dad when and he met with him that, you know, at one time in Louisville, the only friend he had in the world was Bob Russell, um, because he fired everyone at Southern Seminary who didn't actually adhere to their statement of faith about the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture and, and, and so forth. The, the story I always heard from somebody who was attending at time is that when he told one professor he was, he was fired, the professor said, I have a contract, and Dr. Moeller's you know, response was, if you read the Bible as literally as you read your contract, we wouldn't have a problem. Um, and that was the end of that. And he hired a bunch of very conservative mm-hmm. Uh, but also, as far as I can tell, most of them experienced, uh, we said churchmen. I mean, they have PhDs, but when I read their bios, a lot of them, you know, worked in the local church. And everybody said he was crazy, would never work. And now he reluctantly has signed on to online learning only because he can't fit any more kids on his campus. Yes, I, as I understand, it's the largest preaching institution Mm-hmm. The world, yeah, mm-hmm. it is. Yeah, but he took tremendous courage, and he received incredible flack both from his denomination and the local press, saying it was going to be a total failure. But yep. God honored what was done there. It I has. heard him tell the story about uh, the students when he fired one particular female uh, feminist, mm-hmm. very popular teacher. Uh, when he fired her, the students came out to his house to protest. And they all had lit candles. And uh, Dr. Moeller said that his kids were little at the time. They looked out the window and they said, oh, look, Dad, the, the students are welcoming us. Too. <laughs> and, not exactly. And he, and he, didn't, he did not uh, explain to the kids what was really yeah, happening. That's what our movement is all about. We're about back to the Bible. Amen, yes. Brother. And we believe the Bible to be God's word. But it is so easy for those original principles to be rode away. Yeah. And when that happens, it's not a committee. You know, Southern Baptist Seminary didn't turn around because of a committee. It mm-hmm. turned around because one man of courage came in there and did what he believed God wanted him to do. And we need to pray for some workers in the harvest field who will have both yeah. the conviction and the courage to stand for truth and to, to lead us in, in recruiting and training some more preachers. You know, what he increase. said that was I'd never heard before, but you'd think you'd have sense enough to figure it out. I hadn't. Uh, you don't realize how dumb you are until you run into somebody that's that smart. But he said 
and I and this is what I took away from the last time we sat and talked. He said, all organizations, all of them, have a natural tendency to gravitate to the left. No question. And and that is so obvious. Whether he said whether it's a government or other institution or a church, and that's really true. But what we didn't have time to talk about is how do you how do you keep that from happening? Because it's happened to us. How do we keep that from happening? And if we do what we're talking about here and with a new beginning like you're talking about, a new restoration movement, it's, it's really what we're talking about is how do you go about doing it. Uh, to do that, we have to consider what kind of a fail-safe thing can we set into it so that it doesn't happen again. Yeah. Well, gentlemen, we're over an hour, and I know that uh, one of you has a, has a plane to catch, and I actually have, uh, speaking of those egghead academics, I've got a Ph.D. class tonight, uh, including a 30-minute presentation. So we'll go ahead and wrap it up. But I want to thank all of you uh, gentlemen for taking time, being here, spending a morning sharing some of the wisdom that uh, you've accrued in ministry over the years. I hope that young leaders out there or potential leaders will find this helpful um, because I think the Bible is clear that if you want to seek out true wisdom this side of eternity, you go to those who have some experience under their belt. So thank you, gentlemen, and until next time, God bless everyone listening, and God bless you all. This has been the Senior Pastor Podcast, a production of 1801 Media Incorporated. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode.